Hey everyone, welcome to Shadow and Gold episode number three. This is going to be another solo episode, so I'll do my best to keep it short and sweet. And off we go. So one of my heroes, Billy Corgan, once remarked that at a certain point in life, it's necessary to become really clear and transparent in your intentions. So I want to dedicate this next episode to just that, setting as clear of an intention as I can at this point as to what this podcast is all about. Speaking things that feel scary to say or addressing topics that are, from my perspective at least, off the beaten path is all fine and good for my own personal development but that doesn't necessarily translate into added value for an audience. So I get to be clearer about who I am, what the biggest influences on my thinking have been and what problem I see in the world that I would like to make some contribution towards ameliorating. I want to be really clear that I'm not a scientist or a researcher of any kind. I don't consider myself to have any real expertise in anything beyond my own lived experience, with the exception of a few practices that have proven valuable to the folks I've been able to share them with. So ultimately, I see my role as more of a space holder than an expert, a facilitator and curator of ideas gleaned from people much more learned than I. At my best, perhaps I can draw out a few connections or point to the ways in which seemingly unrelated phenomena are, in fact, deeply interwoven. But, of course, it's all hubris until the deed is done. So let's get to it. The name of the podcast, Shadow and Gold, comes from a men's group I was a part of for several years called The Golden Shadow Men. The concept is that we, as human beings, are never entirely good or bad, but that we all have both gold or unique gifts to offer the world and those around us and shadow or parts of ourselves that are self-sabotaging or destructive parts that we find difficult to accept or that we may even be entirely unconscious of. This concept feels especially important right now because we're living in a culture that, in my judgment, is replete with what those of us in the recovery community refer to as black or white thinking. One is either oppressed or an oppressor. You either subscribe to the notion that everything is a social construct or you're an essentialist. You toe the line of the current official narrative or you're spreading disinformation. It's ironic and contradictory to me that just as we are opening to the notion that human experience exists on a spectrum, we are simultaneously requiring that everyone choose a side. The question is not so much, what do you believe and why, but are you with us or against us? And that simply does not jive with the complexity and nuance of human life. The human experience is vast and diverse. The Pope breathes the same air as Johnny Sins. So does Oprah, Jordan Peterson, and the cast of Jersey Shore. To paraphrase Shakespeare, prick David Goggins and Brene Brown, and do they both not bleed? One of my favorite pundits, Jeff Salzman of the Daily Evolver, uh, which you can find on Spotify, often reminds us that polarization is not necessarily a bad thing and that a period of extreme differentiation between competing ideas is a necessary step on the path to their eventual integration. From a bird's eye view, I can see the wisdom in this, and it does give one a reason to be optimistic about the future, 
And at ground level, I think we do best to honor the complexity of existence and make an individual journey towards thinking not in black or white, but in black and white and all the shades of gray in between. So that's the gist of Shadow and Gold. There will be no hero worship or takedown pieces. If I were to talk about a particular public figure, it would not be with the intention of labeling them good or bad, but with the intention of honoring both their shadow and their gold, because I'm a firm stand for the belief that everyone holds a piece of the truth, but that no one has a monopoly on it. As for the intention with regards to topic, it has quickly become clear that what we could generally term men's issues, for perhaps lack of a better term, is going to be a major theme. It may not be the only one, but if Shadow and Gold were the X-Files, it would be the Smoking Man slash Black Oil episodes at the very least. The reason for this segues back to my influences, and like many of the breadcrumb trails I've followed throughout my adult life, can be traced back to a catalyzing event. And so, we return to Billy Corgan. Billy has been a hyperfixation of mine ever since my teenage self dove into the liner notes of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, the famous 1995 double album by his band, The Smashing Pumpkins. This hyperfixation led me to be one of the relatively few people who closely followed him in the early 2000s, post-Pumpkins, post-Zwan, pre-Future Embrace solo album era. As far as I know, his only web presence at the time was a simple blog, but in one entry he talked about an interview he did with a man named Ken Wilbur on a now-defunct website called IntegralNaked.org. Being a dutiful fan, I followed the link, listened to the interview, and became irrevocably plunged into the world of integral meta-theory. I've never been able to give a clear, succinct answer to the inevitable question of what the heck is integral in the past. Uh, I may devote a future solo episode to attempting just that task in the future, uh, but if you're curious, there are much more expert explanations to be had at integrallife.com, which is a site I wholeheartedly endorse for anyone struggling to make sense of the contemporary world. Suffice it to say that Ken Wilber's work has influenced my worldview more than any other thinker, and after reading several of his books, he became one of the people I looked to most as a, a wise elder, whose opinions felt trustable, even if I didn't agree 100% with everything he said. So from Billy to Ken, who also interviewed such popular public figures as Serge Tankian from System of a Down, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam, and Ed Kowalczyk from Live, I was led, albeit over a decade later, to Dr. Warren Farrell, who Ken Wilbur interviewed about his book, The Boy Crisis. In that interview, my mind was pretty much blown by the research Dr. Farrell had done into the true state of the average 21st century man and the ways in which the bounty of opportunity afforded to women by the feminist movement had tipped the scales in their favor in ways that most men had yet to enjoy. For my beloved feminist listeners, I'd like to point out that one of the reasons I found a Dr. Farrell to be so trustable is because he himself was a staunch supporter and ally of the feminist movement in the 70s. 
I think this context is important because his work pretty much debunked the wage gap narrative, revealed how unbalanced higher education has become in favor of women, revealed the grim statistics facing children from single mother households, and reframed the mental, physical, and spiritual health issues affecting so many modern men in really eye-opening ways. In my judgment, it's important for conversations such as these to be steeped in empirical data and to come from a place where the underlying belief is that there is a way forward that includes the progress already made rather than combative calls for regression to some pre-feminist traditionalism. Dr. Farrell is one of the people who fits these criteria. It's interesting to me how vividly I can remember listening to that particular interview. I think it was such an impactful moment because it was the first time I'd heard trustable elders talking about something that felt so culturally taboo in a way, and yet was such a part of my own lived experience. It was as though blinders came off. And I realized I'd effectively been kind of gaslit by the narrative that everything about my identity was privileged, despite how challenging and confusing life seemed to be. And as anyone in the recovery community knows, a little validation can go a long way. Not to mention, it's impossible to heal what you can't even look at. I would say the next piece of the puzzle clicked into place with the book Deaths of Despair and the Future of Capitalism by Anne Case and Angus Deaton. In it, the authors explored the opioid crisis and the alarmingly high rates of suicide and alcoholism present in modern-day working-class America. This crisis of mental health, despite being overshadowed by the COVID-19 pandemic, remains among the top public health issues in the country today. The detailed breakdown of the demographics affected by this crisis reveals a connection to Dr. Farrell's work as working class men are by far the most affected. The reason given is a decrease in social status, which affects earning potential and the potential for secure intimate relationships. Just beyond this surface layer, though, is the deeper issue of a loss of meaning and purpose, which is why deaths of despair is worded the way it is. Poverty is an economic issue. Loneliness is a social one. But despair, that's a disease of the soul. And interestingly enough, the one thing that I don't think any of the proposed remedies can actually address that well you see, the, the major criticism I've had of the scholarly work I've read on these topics is that they generally focus on the material side of things and propose policy changes as the major solutions to the issues they discuss. That is all well and good, but when it comes to the daily lives of human beings, the vast majority of us have very little say over official policy. For the person in the trenches, so to speak, there's nothing actionable in this sort of proposed solution. Some people choose advocacy and may find in that act the meaning and purpose they are seeking, but for many others, focusing on policy change puts too much focus and hope on something that is entirely beyond their sphere of control. Enter recovery work. Now, there are a variety of recovery communities out there, and they don't all agree on the details. But I would assert that none of them would argue with the basic tenets of the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So much of recovery work involves shifting focus and energy away from what is beyond our control and onto what is. 
it's both humbling and empowering to realize just how little we actually have control over, but how impactful even small changes to our habitual patterns or stories about ourselves can be. So this is where I see an opportunity to explore solutions to mental health crises through the lens of individual agency rather than reliance on external intervention. And by individual agency, I, I am by no means advocating for going it alone. Making a choice to join a community or to reach out for help is an expression of individual agency. Waiting for someone to come along and save you is not. My friend Paul from episode two is an excellent example. Here's a man who was faced with a challenging situation beyond his control. The inability to have the kind of in-person relationship with his kids that he wanted. And he took that and used all the tools at his disposal to create a book into which he could pour his fatherly wisdom. So through an internal journey and a bold creative act, Paul rewrote the story of who he was as a father in a way that felt meaningful, purposeful, and aligned. That's why I'm such an admirer of him and other men like him. And those are the sorts of stories I would like to highlight with this podcast to whatever extent I can. So that's what I see. A massive public health crisis affecting my demographic but which flies largely under the radar because there's something of a cultural taboo around talking about men as anything other than privileged. I see an opportunity to discuss ways of combating this disease of despair on the individual level from the ground up rather than from the top down based in some simple recovery principles that at times bear a striking resemblance to principles I've learned through integral meta theory. And if over the course of this podcast, even one listener is inspired to make a change that turns their self story from one of despair to one of hope and resilience, I will consider that a truly meaningful win. So that's it. And as neat a package as my neurodivergent brain can manage tonight. So until next time, love over fear. Bye everyone.